everyone. Welcome back to the One Foot Down podcast. This is our 50th episode. We've reached a milestone. It's been six weeks. We're uh, finally getting back on the podcast game. I'm Eric Murtaugh, back as your host. I have Phil and Lars back with you uh, today. We're going to talk a little spring football. We're going to talk a little bit about the new coaching staff, um, or the new coaches, I should say, that are at Notre Dame uh, to start 2015. Uh, we'll talk about a few other things to finish the podcast. Um, obviously, right now, in the Notre Dame world, the basketball team uh, is doing good things, reaching their first Sweet 16 since 2003. Um, a bit of an ugly game to finish last night, but still very entertaining. Uh, again, I feel really proud about what that basketball team's been able to do, especially with uh, the news that Mike Bray's mother passed away in the morning. Um, it was That's had to be really tough on Mike Bray, so... Uh, Many high fives uh, and, and clapping and just adulation to the basketball team. I think they can get to the Elite Eight, hopefully. I think they'll be able to beat Kansas uh, and or Wichita. We'll see who wins that game later today. So um, this is mostly a football podcast, so we're going to stick to uh, fighting Irish football. Um, let's start talking about those new coaches at Notre Dame. I'm going to run down the list here. We've had a huge overhaul at Notre Dame, probably the biggest overhaul I've ever remembered, certainly since we started uh, this whole one-foot-down thing six or seven years ago. So we have Matt LaFleur. He heads to the Atlanta Falcons. He was Notre Dame's quarterback's coach. Kerry Cooks moved to Oklahoma, and Tony Alford moved to Ohio State. Now, those two those two latter guys leaving Cooks and Alford were originally uh, pretty big blows at the time, uh, kind of sent the Internet community into a whirlwind um, kind of doubting how things are moving forward, but we've got a bunch of new hires. Mike Sanford hired as the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, although debatable what that OC tag really means. Autry Jensen, former running back at Notre Dame, hired as the running back's coach. Todd Light, also a former corner at Notre Dame, is the debut coach. Keith Gilmore comes over from North Carolina. He's the defensive line coach. They slide Mike Elston from D-line to linebackers, and he, Elston is now the recruiting coordinator. Bob Elliott has moved to an off-field role into that consigliere role that I like to talk about. Um, Jeff Quinn, uh, former UB head coach, is now an offensive specialist, and former Notre Dame player Maurice Crum is now a defensive grad assistant. Now, guys, um, a lot of new faces here in South Bend for spring football. I wanted to get your thoughts on which coaches you were most interested to watch this season. Um, you know, not necessarily just this spring, but maybe you know, the whole year as a whole. Uh, let's start with you, Lars, our uh, Canadian uh, fellow. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, I would definitely say uh, Mike Samford's the guy that I want to know the most about, and and I think more specifically what his role is going to be because, I, you know, the offensive coordinator position under Brian Kelly has in many ways just been a title and, and not a whole lot in terms of actual impact uh, on game days. So it'll be interesting to see if Brian Kelly... Uh, is willing to hand the reins over to Samford. I think it's an absolutely fascinating hire because it's one of the, the first times that we've seen Brian Kelly on the offensive side of the ball really go outside of um, you know his kind of coaching tree to find someone um, that's pretty new and, and obviously he's looking for some new ideas and I mean that's the whole reason that you bring in a young up-and-coming coach like this. So uh, I think that one's going to be really fascinating. I'm quite interested to see how that plays out. Phil, so what do you think? What coaches are you looking at? Coach or coaches? Well, Eric, I was uh, split between Autry Denson and Keith Gilmore, but in the end I had to go with Gilmore uh, simply because, you know, in my mind, our D-line has been punching below its weight in the last few years. I, I suppose it's partly a transition from going from a 3-4 where you have guys more occupying uh, holes, occupying holes, you know, Eat, excuse me, eating blocks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but if you look at how our D-line performed last year, we would get, we'd have bodies, we, we you know, we'd have the sets, the scheme was there, but we weren't getting to the quarterback. The, the production wasn't there. Um, and I think that that's an essential component of bringing, especially Brian Van Gorder's defense, to the next level. And 
I'm really excited to see what Gilmore can do. Uh, and it's interesting, though, because he's also coming from the Brian Kelly uh, coaching tree. He's coming back in, so his transition should be smooth, should be seamless. He can go right into teaching some good uh, fundamental and hopefully advanced D-line techniques that our guys can use to get to the quarterback. Okay, this is good because uh, I had Sanford and Gilmore kind of in my top three, but the one guy that I think I would focus on is Todd Light in the defensive secondary, um, mostly because I think he has the most pressure. I know, I, I guess you could say I would agree with you in the sense that Gilmore has a lot of pressure to kind of increase, um, you know, tackles for a loss and pressures against quarterback. But I, I don't know. My kind of philosophy with that is defensive line, you tend to kind of either have the horses there or you don't, and I don't know if Notre Dame necessarily does right now. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit further or later in the podcast. And also I think the Van Gorder scheme kind of, you know, tries to get pressure from a lot of different areas outside of the defensive line, a lot of blitzing from linebackers and corners. So I don't know how, like, super important the defensive line is going to be. Uh, I guess we'll kind of see maybe if the, the scheme is tweaked, but with, but with Todd Light, I think you know that's a really that's a really important job for him. We thought maybe he would just get the corners, but they basically gave him the entire secondary. But it was interesting to see that Brian Kelly mentioned Van Gorder's going to be moving around to all the positional units, but really focusing with the safeties. I think there's a lot of pressure to develop Max Redfield and Elijah Shoemate into you know not just good players but possibly great players and there's also you know depth concerns behind them at safety you got to uh, develop some younger players you have to add in um, a transfer from Cal and Avery Sebastian you know there's a couple of good corners coming back but there's still young depth there and it, that's a that's a position especially in today's modern game where if you don't have all your ducks in order um, you know things could get ugly pretty quickly so I, I think there's a lot of pressure on light and I'm um, interested to see how, you know, kind of things evolve there with him, especially since he's a pretty inexperienced coach as it is, which is kind of worrisome, but I think he does offer a lot of potential. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that, Eric, because as you were talking, I would, you know, later I was going to talk about this, but it's timely now. Um, I would suggest that the key to the defense is the secondary, um, you know, and that varies every year, every defense, that sort of thing. But if the Notre Dame... Uh, secondary performs well, it'll make the rest of the defense that much better. So I'm not surprised that Van Gorder is spending significant time working with the secondary, and, and I'd agree with you, that's going to be a critical position. There's, you know, those, those starting four have the potential to be really good, and if they are, and if they pan out the way that we think that they do, then then their impact is going to be felt in the linebacking core, but especially in the, uh, in the front four, where those guys will have a little more time to... Um, you know, to get to the quarterback and that sort of thing. And if you can lock up and just play man coverage, it gives you so much more freedom in terms of what you can do schematically as a defense. So that's going to be critical. This defense is going to be built from the back end. If the back end can play well, then uh, we're in pretty good shape. If the back end isn't playing well, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and, and Eric and, and Lars, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on pretty much all counts. Uh, specifically, that the defensive backs really have an opportunity to shine in Brian Van Gorder's defense. They have the potential to be the stars, which is essentially, I think, what you were saying, Lars. But in essence, though, it's going to demand um, exquisite technique, not just athleticism, which is there in Shoemate and Redfield and, God willing, Kavari Russell, um, but the technique needs to be taught. And, and frankly, I know that you were saying, Eric, that you know Todd Light is a little light on the coaching resume, but for a guy who played, I think, what was it, 10 or 12 years in the league, was a pro bowler, I mean, that technique has to be there. It, 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 it just has to be. And I feel like he's probably one of the best guys equipped to translate that to you know a pro-style scheme. Yeah, definitely. So... Uh... Notre Dame has started spring practice. Are you guys excited? <laughs> yeah, always excited to get a little bit of football going, but uh, this spring's been a little bit weird with, um, you know, I guess a little overshadowed maybe by the basketball team, and then you had a delay in the start uh, of spring football. It's been pushed back, and then there's questions surrounding the blue and gold game, so it's been a little bit odd. But, yeah, I'm fired up, ready to go, and hopefully we get some stuff that we can uh, bring into the film room and, and break some film down. 
Yeah, I would agree with you that on that. It still feels like we're still in winter, although the spring's slowly starting to break through here where I live. But uh, yeah, just definitely a very interesting spring. So Notre Dame's played, or I should say, they've practiced three times already. Uh, we had a practice recap uh, this past Wednesday. The Irish also practiced on Friday and Saturday. They'll be back on the field Monday morning. The media will be able to be at that practice for the first half hour, so there should be some more uh, info nuggets coming out. I would imagine as long as the basketball team is still playing that we're going to probably see the the amount of uh, Fighting Irish Digital Media content be pretty slim until uh, the NCAA tournament's over or whenever Notre Dame bows out of the tournament. So, um, again, that's probably going to help or aid the whole weirdness of the spring. So I've got a couple of... Uh, Questions for you guys, some some issues to talk about. The first thing, we're going to zero in on the quarterback position right away. And um, in that first practice that the media was at, Everett Golson was the first-team quarterback. He did rotate with Zaire uh, within that 30-minute time frame, which is pretty normal. That was expected. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if Golson is there on Monday or if, you know, we're flip-flopping. Uh, who you know? Who's starting the entire spring? If Golson stays there the entire time, a bit of an interesting uh, dynamic involved there. You know, with Zaire having a pretty good performance in the USC game, a really strong performance in the LSU game. You know, there's a lot of talk about Zaire just flat out starting, Golson transferring. Now, after a few practices, it seems like Golson is probably the odds-on favorite to be the starter. That certainly seemed that the way Coach Kelly talked about his pre-spring presser and after the first um, practice that he wants Golson to grab the starting job. He mentioned that he hasn't talked to Golson at all about splitting time. Um, and I thought it was interesting that he mentioned that Zaire has to bring a little bit more consistency to practice. And I think this is a little bit of a, an issue that was kind of lost. You know, if you remember... Several months ago, even Zaire himself mentioned uh, early in his career he wasn't really focused enough to uh, to really make a play on the quarterback position uh, in order to be a starter, which is, you know, a lot of young players struggle with that. And, uh, you know, late in the season, everyone was kind of, like, amazed and really pumped up with his, uh, his leadership on the field. He's very outgoing in his leadership. So I think that kind of masked the whole kind of underlying theme here that Zaire is – not quite as consistent in practice, and I know that's a big deal for the coaching staff. And uh, I thought that was interesting that, you know, if you talk to 10 people, five or six might have said, you know, Zaire is going to run away with the with this spring and he might start. Maybe he doesn't really feel that way. So do you think guys think that he has a little bit more work to do than we thought maybe to in order to start, in order to have like a bigger role than he has had uh, or he had last year? Um, yeah, I he definitely, I think, needs some. There's, there's clearly something that he needs to do because otherwise, I think he would have been handed the reins because he has performed in his limited time. He has performed, and the question is, does he not? I don't think the question is so much does he have the tools to start for the University of Notre Dame, but does he have the tools to start over Everett Golson at the University of Notre Dame? And a good point. The thing is that, and the thing is that. As as Zaire has developed in the last, I don't know, four or five months or so, it hasn't happened in a vacuum. Everett Golson has been making strides as well. I mean, we brought this up, I think, in the last time we talked, was that when you watch the LSU game, Golson wasn't doing his little lateral side-to-side -side drifting. He was staying in the pocket, delivering passes downfield, and then getting hit. So he's been developing as well. And given that Kelly continues to mention the fact that Zaire needs to be more consistent on in practice, leads me to believe that that's not an issue that's fixed, and which means that he's not performing well in some degree in practice, whether he's leaving his throws high, whether he's doing you know something else, that he hasn't still put it all together where he is an you know a clearly better option than uh, Ever Golson. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's a really interesting question, and what I should be saying, here's what the answer should be, is that 
you know, wherever Golson is at is exactly where he should be. He had a good year last year. He was asked to do a lot and probably actually asked to do too much at times uh, and performed pretty well. Um, he was a little inconsistent, which is not surprising for a guy who's only in his second year of starting. Uh, he had some bad games, but he had some spectacular games. He's on the appropriate natural trajectory for a quarterback. And uh, really, I should be saying to you that, yep, it's Golson's job and, and any discussion of Zaire is, is ludicrous. But the reality is there's something about Zaire. He's got, uh, I don't know if you want to call it that he's a game or what it is, um, but he's got a spark to him that, um, you know, that first time I sat and watched the film against USC, I just went, wow. And I was not, and, you know, I was one, of, I wrote an article saying that, uh, that, you know, I would play both quarterbacks in the game and, and, you know, it was a pretty unpopular opinion at the time, but then, uh, and I mean the bowl game, uh, but then when uh, Zaire went in there and performed well, I wasn't the least bit surprised. There's something pretty special about uh, about Zaire. I think that Golson will end up being the starter. Um, you know, he's obviously a talented player, so is Zaire, but I think the real difference is experience, and the reality is um, Golson has pretty much two years worth of starting under his belt and that's incredibly important um, that's an incredibly important advantage for him the reality is there's a lot that goes into being the starting quarterback at Notre Dame and to start for an entire season and all the ups and downs you go through it's one thing to come in for a half against USC and do well it's another thing to come in against LSU when nobody really knows how much you're going to be playing um, but it's entirely different to go through an entire year as a starter and specifically to have teams game plan against you and have an opportunity to watch film and evaluate your strengths and weaknesses and then create defenses that obviously uh, take advantage of or, or sorry, um, you know, force you into a situation where you have to try and use your weaknesses to beat, to beat the opposition. So I would say that... Um, that's a real trump card for Everett Golson. That experience is, is absolutely critical, and uh, I think it'll probably be the difference. But I'll tell you right now, Zaire's got something special about him. I wouldn't be stunned if somehow he comes through and wins this competition. And what do you think about... We have such a small window to look into, and it's mostly during the games, uh, in terms of like leadership. You know, I, It almost seems like, especially at the quarterback position in recent years... There's been a really uh, increased, uh, I'm not even sure what would be the right word for it, but I guess you would look to like Tim Tebow as the example. It seems like nowadays fans especially want to see that type of passion and, and, and vocal leadership out of the quarterback position, whereas maybe 10 years ago it was kind of the opposite from the quarterback position. Guys are very uh, cool, calm, and collected, you know, kind of like a Joe Montana, very a very a chill guy, not really bothered by the pressure. And if even if you look at someone like Marcus Mariota at, at Oregon, he was exactly like that. You know, not very vocal, very chill, um, almost to a fault. I'm sure as all this NFL stuff ramps up, that'll be turned into a negative. But I don't know if Golson is necessarily in the same mold as Mariota, but it does seem like fans are really latching on to Zaire's vocal leadership in games, but on the other hand, you know, he hasn't really faced adversity, and you kind of touched on that, Lars. You know, we haven't seen what that very outward leadership has been like when he throws an interception, or you know, it's a game-winning drive, and he doesn't get the job done. So I'm interested to see how he is affected by failure, because we know at some point it's going to happen, whether it be, you know, a drive or a loss, or you know, whatever, it's going to happen at some point down the line. And I'm very interested to see because we know what Golson, you know, we know his flaws. We know what in, in which ways he needs to get better with his leadership. But uh, I'm just really curious to see Zaire uh, with this stuff moving forward. Yeah, I, you know, I think the whole leadership point is an interesting one. And a lot of it just has to do with being true to your personality. I think you don't always have to be a raw, raw guy and, and uh, you don't always have to be kind of a, the quiet leader either. It really depends on who you are and, and being comfortable in your own skin. And then it comes down to can you get it done on the field. Um, if you're a big raw, raw guy and, you know, trying to pump everyone up and then you go out and fall on your face uh, in the field, 
there's a word for that. It's idiot, because um, that's what you end up looking like. To be frank, um, so if you're going to be a raw raw guy, you have to have uh, you know you have to be able to back it up with play on the field, and you certainly can be more of a quiet leader and still be very impactful. And the whole idea that uh, you know the whole less is more thing from a leadership perspective. A guy like Everett Golson may not talk a whole lot, but when he does, uh, guys will listen provided that his play on the field is really good. I think part of the interesting dynamic is, and I don't think Kelly and, and Golson necessarily have a bad relationship, but what I've noticed um, you know, in college football in particular is uh, sort of this relentless approach by the, by the head coach often uh, with the quarterback. Every time they come on, off the field, the coach, the head coach is, uh, is coaching them up, whether they scored a touchdown or whatever. I noticed it with uh, Jimbo Fisher and Jamison Winston. I noticed it with Brian Kelly and uh, Everett Golson. Um, personally, I'm not a big fan of it. It uh, strikes me as almost a little bit of showboating by the head coach. Like, I'm going to coach you every single play. You know, I'm going to be consistent and, and uh, good or bad, you're always getting coached. I, I think Everett Golson bristles under that a little bit. I think he'd like it if Brian Kelly uh, would just every now and then say, hey, good job, you know, and then save the coaching for a little bit. Give him a little high five on a touchdown. Let him be happy. Let him uh, enjoy the game because I think that's part of Everett Golson's personality, and I think that's a mistake that Brian Kelly has made in working with Golson. Not that their relationship is bad or anything. Um, I think he just needs to do a little bit better job of backing off and let Golson enjoy the moment and enjoy when he has success instead of always trying to coach him on every single thing. There's a time and a place for coaching and there's a time and a place just to enjoy the moment. So I think that's an area that needs to be worked on. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point, Lars. Uh, just simply because Golson plays the game very differently than most quarterbacks play the game. We mentioned Tim Tebow, we mentioned Joe Montana. Golson's not of either of those molds. He, it's difficult to attribute the title of artist to a football player, but the way he plays the position so loosely, yet, you know, everything is improvisation and everything, you know, is within the offense, but, you know, he's making it up as he goes and the game is evolving around, the play is evolving around him. It's difficult, like you said, for him to come off and Kelly to be telling him something or else because he said, look, coach, I did what I saw and it worked, you know, and, and that... But he has fire, and that's the thing. I mean, if you look at his film during the 2012 pit game when he goes in and scores that two-point conversion, he's fired up. You know, he has that passion. It might not be as vocal or as visible as Malik Zaire's uh, passion, but it's still there, and it is visible at times what it needs to be there. And I think that that's something that, you know, you can't overlook uh, in Everett Golson. All right, there's going to be plenty of talk uh about the quarterback position over the next few weeks and heading into the summer. We're going to talk about the big uglies up front now. In contrast to last year, cross your fingers that we have no more injuries. Um, last year, Notre Dame went into the spring with uh, Nick Martin injured, Christian Lombard was injured. That kind of bled into the fall camp and mostly really into the whole season. Look at Martin had a hand issue that creeped up. Uh, Lombard actually basically retired by the end of the year, uh, didn't finish out the entire season and missed the bowl game. So this year it looks like the Notre Dame offensive line is a little bit more settled. Um, you know, we have Stanley at left tackle. There's going to be a competition, in finger quotes, between Nelson and Bars at left guard. That kind of seems like that's 70-30 in favor of Nelson right now. Martin's going to move back to center, his more natural position. Steve Elmer at right guard and McGlinchey at right tackle. This seems like a pretty big deal for Notre Dame as they head into uh, an important spring. Um, you know, there's a little bit of an experience. McClinchy only has one start. Um, not much playing time beyond that. Uh, obviously, Nelson has never stepped on the field before, but is one of the most highly rated offensive linemen of the Kelly era. But, you know, you have Stanley, who is a possible top 10 pick next year. Martin is kind of the quintessential uh, center, Elmer was highly regarded. This is a very talented uh, and an offensive line that has a ton of potential, and if they can stay healthy, I think this is going to be a huge difference between this year and last year. What do you guys think? Um, well, it, it is, I mean, it, it's all potential right now, with the exception of, uh, you know, Martin and Stanley. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of, you know, remains to be seen on this line. And I think it is critical that they're coming together and, and being established right now so that they have all spring to gel, all summer to gel, and then move right into it against Texas. And I think that that's critical even more so because at least in Mike Sanford's opening statements or his introductory statements, you know, he did say philosophically he wants to establish the run. He wants to run the football well and forcefully. And I think that that's critical for Notre Dame to have their line locked down uh, as we move into maybe developing that philosophy a little bit more. Yeah, I would say continuity is absolutely critical, especially on the offensive line, because so much of the work that's done in the offensive line is in tandem, um, probably more so than pretty much any other position, uh, and particularly uh, in the type of scheme that Brian Kelly favors with you know zone blocking and combo blocking and that sort of thing. It really makes a difference if you're comfortable with the person that you're working with and you've worked together a lot and you know each other's idiosyncrasies and those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a big advantage for Notre Dame this year. All right, spring ball, we're a week into it. Um, what position and or player are you guys watching on offense or most interested in watching? You know, it could be one player specifically, maybe a positional battle. I would probably pick tight end, just kind of curious to see how Jerem Smith or Smythe, uh, how he develops uh, and kind of how they're using the tight ends, maybe get a little bit of a, you know, see if they're using the tight ends any differently than last year, um, if they're going to continue to use H-back with Luatua as much as they did in the bowl game, things like that. That'd probably be the one thing I would focus on in the spring. What about you, Phil? What are you, what are you focusing on? Um, well, not to move too far away from the tight ends, but... Um... I'm focusing specifically on the slot receiver, but even more specifically on C.J. Procise. Him mm -hmm. now cross-training with the running backs. I mean, that's a versatility that I think Brian Kelly will exploit masterfully. Um, to have this big, heavy guy who runs well, who moves well, who runs routes well, uh, can also take the ball out of the backfield, run those jet sweeps that everybody wants us to run more. Um, but also at the same time, you're going to have potentially, uh, if he comes back for his fifth year, Amir Carlisle running those you know, quick slants and all those other sort of things that I think are really effective in this offense that, that we saw was very effective against LSU. Um, and I think that uh, the ability to have two top guys, particularly pro size, in that slot position uh, can really mean great things for this offense going into this next season. Yeah, pro size has been uh, kind of a... A godsend, I would say, for that slot position. It seems like he could develop very quickly. You know, he recruited as a safety and kind of, you know, didn't really do anything during his redshirt year. Didn't really seem to make any any waves. He switched him over to receiver, and man, he really had a great year. I was quietly one of the, I would say, one of the most productive years of the past three to four years at Notre Dame. You know, twelve yards a carry. I mean, you know, obviously that that's from a couple long runs, but still, when you're he only touched the ball 10 times and rushing the ball. He had over 100, 100 yards, scored that big touchdown against uh, LSU. You know, Even in the past game, he's got to work on his hands, obviously. Everyone talks about that. But you know, 17.7 .7 yards per catch, I mean, this is a really big play threat. And I would second, I would uh, echo your thoughts and say that I'm really interested to see how they use him. Um, I would like to say that in the first practice video that they uh, showed uh, back on Wednesday evening, he... Uh, kind of had motioned into the backfield, and they did a little pitch to him, and he dropped it. So <laughs> something to watch. Uh, oh, boy. What about you, Lars? Um, well, I mean, the obvious position battle on offense for me is the quarterback position, uh, but we've talked at that at length. Um, I guess the player I'm most interested in, you know, we'll see some glimpses in spring, but really heading into the season is uh, Greg Bryant. Um, you know, I'm hoping that... Uh, that he can make a jump this year and, and become the kind of dynamic running back that I think we're all hoping for. And uh, if he can, boy, look out. That'll be quite a dynamic duel. All right, let's switch to defense now. Um, Phil talked about it earlier, kind of new defensive line coach. Uh, Mr. Gilmore is now working with that with those guys. And, it, you know, the big thing on defense is can they develop a pass rusher? Who's it going to be? Who can it be? Who are some of the candidates? Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Who do you guys think could step up in the spring and kind of be that guy who maybe could get six, eight sacks, maybe God willing, ten sacks? Uh, 
I don't, I, I don't know if we have anybody who can do that. Um, to be pretty blunt about it, I don't. I, to be honest with you, I have no idea because uh, we've seen these guys in action. Andrew Trombetti is is listed, quote unquote, as a starter on the strong side end. Uh, Romeo Quara opposite him, and these guys are. You know, they play with a lot of fire. They play well, and Aquara's got speed, but we haven't seen them play with the technique necessary to consistently uh, uh, harry a quarterback in the pocket. And I think that maybe after a spring and summer with uh, Coach Gilmore, we're going to see a much more productive uh, unit from these guys. At the same time, what I'm really interested to see is what kind of production we get out of Isaac Rochelle and Sheldon Day. Now, I don't mean to say that Sheldon Day has been unproductive, far from it. But in the, uh, especially last season, it seemed like those two guys inside were more interested or, or just being uh, coached to occupy blocks, to fill gaps and all that sort of stuff. I want to see if they can start you know, punching through that middle of the offensive line and getting at the quarterback from the interior. And I'm really fascinated to see if we can develop that over the next few months going into the season. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm I gotta agree with Phil. I, I just I don't know. I'm I wouldn't be very confident on predicting a breakout in terms of pass rushers because I just I'm skeptical. I haven't seen it, so I'll I'll wait till I see it. Um, certainly, one of the things that Van Gorder has done a good job of that I think doesn't get noticed is is how much he asks the defensive ends to do, and they're actually dropping into coverage and, and covering people out of the backfield quite a bit. I was breaking down some film on Joe Schmidt and watching uh, Andrew Trimbretti, um covering the tight end for FSU in the red zone. <laughs> you know, it's not many defensive ends who can do that. So, you know, I think we're getting good mileage out of those guys. And in terms of Aquara, he, uh, you know, his problem is, Maybe he's got some speed, I don't know, because he still rushes like he's um, playing in the Bob Diaco system. He's constantly engaging with the offensive lineman, and rarely do I see him just try and, uh, you know, use that speed and dip that shoulder and, and get around the corner. So I'm hoping that uh, that we get someone who emerges as a pass rusher, but I'm, I'm not sure. And I think the more critical component is going to be, does the secondary develop, and does it you know, force the quarterback to hold onto the ball just a little bit longer and allow that pass rush to get there. So that, for me, is, is the real key. Yeah, I would agree with you both. The one thing I would kind of focus on is I'm wondering, you know, in the first opening practice of spring they had, Rochelle still working at that strong side defensive end. Now, it kind of changes throughout the season. You know, you'll see uh, Trombetti there or someone else, but... I'm wondering if they, I mean, Rochelle does have some freaky athleticism, but at the end of the day, he's still 287 pounds, and it's still going to be hard for him to chase down quarterbacks and, and be a huge threat in the backfield at that weight. So I'm curious to see if Rochelle plays most of his snaps on the end position, and if he does, you know, that only really leaves one end spot opposite him as a, as a, as a pass rushing, you know, weak side end Um you know, targeting the quarterback, trying to get in the backfield. Now, obviously, the whole narrative right now is with Gilmore, they're going to be more one-gapping, penetrating, getting upfield. But that, you know, that's why I'm kind of wondering if Rochelle's going to stay at that end spot. So, um, it does seem like they really haven't shaken out the cobwebs or gotten it out of the system. That, you know, they're not just always supposed to engage the other team and. Maybe they haven't really learned or perfected their skills in getting off blocks and getting around linemen and stuff like that. So hopefully they'll be able to uh, do a better job. But I would agree with you guys. It's not really anything to be super excited about in terms of pass rushing. Um, you know, there are a lot of options that you know you look, especially if you look at young guys. But you know, you just wonder how often these guys can get on the field and how quickly they can develop. You know, you have Trombetti and Blankenship played last year. You have Williams. Johnny Williams now coming up. They've got Bonner, you know, who's grown into a strong side defensive end. You wonder how much of a pass rushing player he'll be able to be. You know, Colin Hill was listed as a linebacker, but probably going to be more of a a blitzing uh, Sam linebacker. Uh, you know, there's Aquara. You know, we're not really expecting Ishak Williams to be back, but maybe he does. You don't know what he could do. And then, of course, Bo Wallace is coming in and not really expected to play. So there's like five or six guys here who could be pass rushers, but just unproven and 
we don't know if there's really going to be a lot of playing time for these guys given the system and what we've seen before. So I'm interested to see how it all changes and what goes on this spring and you know maybe what Gilmore himself has to say about this when he's interviewed uh, at some point in the spring. So, All right, the next topic is uh, Jarrett Grace. Now, he's been through a lot, injured in October of 2013. Basically, you know, at first, I, I guess I was in a glass case of emotion. I thought he was going to make it through and be healthy for last season. It didn't really seem like that was going to happen at all by the time spring rolled around. He had, he had to have another surgery. He was still limping well into uh, the summer and, 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 and fall ball last year. Now it seems like he's pretty much 100% healthy. I mean, Brian Kelly hasn't really held back at all in terms of praising Grace's health and the way he looks on the field. Um, the media basically confirmed that on Wednesday's practice that he looked good. He was moving really well. No signs of uh, any limping or any injuries. Uh, he's still a big boy, over 250 pounds, but you know it looks like he's going to be given every opportunity to uh, win that Mike linebacker spot, or at least compete for it. Um, you know, Joe Schmidt's basically injured for spring right now, so Grace is battling with uh, up-and-comer um, Niles Morgan. Thank you. Uh, he slipped my mind there for a second for that Mike linebacker spot, so you know, it didn't really seem like he was coming back for a fifth year, but with the way Brian Kelly's talking, it almost seems like he's a lock for a fifth year, regardless of whether he wins this Mike linebacker spot or not. You know, what do we? What should we expect from Jared Grace? You know, I, I guess my thing is I don't think he really fits the scheme all that well, but he could probably be used situationally um, pretty well, I think, against you know maybe a Stanford or other power running teams like that. What do you guys think? Uh, you want to go ahead, Lars? Or yeah, sure, I can jump in on that one. You know, I always like to talk about linebackers, so it's <laughs> great, great in my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously, the, there. I think there's two questions there. Um, you know, one is Jared Grace's health, and it's great that he's running around and looking good in spring practice. Um, you know, it's another thing when you get the accumulated wear and tear on your body of a season um, to be healthy and, and to do all the things you need to do. So that's the first question is how truly healthy is he and can he hold up? Uh, over the long term. And then the other part of that health equation is what is the health of Joe Schmidt going to be like? Um, you know, in terms of physical gifts, Joe Schmidt probably doesn't have, you know, quite as much room for error as the others. And if that ankle isn't fully healthy and he's not back 100%, that's going to be a real problem for him as well. So I think those are two of the interesting questions. I would, I would definitely agree with you, Eric. Um, you know, I'm not sure that Jared Grace is a great fit for the defense. Um, you know, one of the most striking features of Brian Van Gorder's defense, in my mind, was just how much speed he had on the field, and uh, you know, in, in that linebacking core in particular. So, uh, Jared Grace is not only going to need to overcome that injury and and return to full speed, he's going to actually need to come back faster to really be effective in that middle linebacker position, because that middle linebacker position is expected to be all over the field and cover a huge amount of territory. And when the middle linebacker can do that, it's a highly, highly effective defense. When the middle linebacker can't do that, there's a lot of gaps and it causes a lot of problems. So I, you know, I'm not sure. I'd love to see Jared Grace come back. I'd love to see him do well. You know, I certainly think he can pick up the defense and, and be very effective that way. I'm just not sure if he can do it physically. And uh, that'll be the million-dollar question. Well, from my point of view, at least from, from coming back from injury point of view, one of the things that seems to be, when I was preparing an article on um, uh, Drew Tranquil coming back from his ACL, and one of the things that seems to be a risk factor or more of a confounding factor for uh, repeat injuries is, how the, is, is, is the individual's mental outlook towards their injury. If they're going to play scared, if they're going to play, you know, sort of 75%, that actually increases the chance of re-injuring any sort of whatever their initial injury was because your biomechanics are off and all that sort of stuff. So if he's mentally into it, and I, I trust the orthopedist that he went to, whoever they were, did a, a sufficient job to get him back to where he is, you know, so long as he's mentally into it, I don't really worry about so much of him holding up. 
What I am interested in is what you said about the speed, his size, his lack of fit for this defense. And the question that came into my mind immediately was that during his initial press conference, Brian Kelly said that he was moving Greer Martini over to the sandbacker position behind James Onwalu for when the when opponents would get big on on Notre Dame when they would be running power run and all that sort of stuff he he'd have Greer Martini in as a larger sandbacker my question was if we want size at the sandbacker why wasn't Jared Grace a potential option to move over to the sandbacker position let faster guys like Joe Smith uh, Joe Schmidt sorry and Niles Morgan sort of patrol the middle and move Grace over to that Sam Backer position where he can also probably blitz more and as a bigger guy get at the quarterback and wreak some havoc on the other side of the line. And that's sort of where I'd kind of like to see him in terms of fitting into the defense. All right, same question as we had with the offense. What's your position and or player to watch uh, during the spring on defense? Um, I kind of echo my thoughts with Todd Light. I'm probably more interested in the secondary uh, more than anything else, specifically the safety position. and What goes on with those guys and how they develop? What about you, Lars? Yeah, secondary and safeties for sure. Um, you know, I think we've got a good sense of what we have at, at the corners and, uh, you know, not the corner isn't a complicated position, but really in a lot of ways it comes down to we're going to, at the corner position, we're going to give you a receiver, you're going to lock that guy down, cover him one-on-one. -on -one. So it's relatively simple. Safeties have the ability to impact the entire defense. And uh, so not only do they need to be, you know, very good athletes and all those sorts of things, they play an important role in the run game, but just that ability to, uh, to set the defense up, make sure everyone's covered, make sure that the adjustments are appropriate, that sort of thing. Um, hopefully they can take a big jump. I'm expecting that they will. I'm expecting a good year out of our safeties, and I, I think they can give us that. And if we get good play out of our safeties, that will have a ripple effect throughout the entire defense. That's a position that can make the rest of the defense a lot better and hide some potential deficiencies as well. How about you, Phil? Well, I'm... Um for the purposes of answering this question, I'm combining the Sam linebacker position and the nickel corner into sort of one position because in okay. Brian Van Gorder's defense, we sort of switch them in and out with a fair amount of regularity. Um, simply because in his defense, they're playing up close to the line, whether in coverage or rushing, and there's so much versatility there. It's There's so much excitement there. We saw Matthias Farley making great plays, especially that one in the Michigan game where he, you know, the guy that came out, I think, on a pitch to the outside or something to that effect, and he comes and grabs him for, I think, like a seven-yard loss or something like that. That's, I think, the essence of playing aggressive in the Brian Van Gorder scheme. And I want to see if James Onwalu, I mean, he put that hit on Leonard Fournette. He punches well above his weight for a small guy, or a smaller guy, and that's in air quotes. Um... I want to see what that position does, how that develops, and if that becomes a real true weapon for uh, Notre Dame's defense. All right. Okay, All right. we're going to finish the podcast with a couple other uh, news and notes items, a couple of questions for you guys. Now, Notre Dame's going to be adding another graduate transfer this year, similar to last year when Notre Dame brought in Cody Riggs from Florida. Also, this player, Avery Sebastian, is coming from Cal. He'll be in the secondary he played safety at Cal. He was kind of a special teams uh, standout. The, the big thing that a lot of the Cal people have said about him was his physicality. You would think that he would be immediately put in at the safety depth chart. Do you think that he has any chance to start there or anywhere else in the secondary, a lot like Cody Riggs came in last summer and kind of immediately pushed himself into the two deep and then uh, ended up being a starter? Uh, in 2014. Can Sebastian be that type of a player? Well, Cody Riggs did push himself into that starting, but he also had a lot of help from Kavari Russell dropping the ball academically. There you um, go. So, I mean, he... And I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from Cody Riggs. Cody Riggs was played excellently for Notre Dame last year. He was a real diamond in the rough in terms of that. Does Sebastian come out? Is he more? Is he a better athlete than Max Redfield or Elijah Shoemate? Do, do I think he makes the two deep? Yeah, without a doubt. But is he really going to push for playing time? I have no idea. 
I really don't know. And considering that Max Redfield and Elijah Shoemate seem to have been learning the defense and seeing as Brian uh, Van Gorder's defense does seem to take some time to learn for college players, I wouldn't be too sold on him seeing immediate uh, starting time. 5'10", 195, not overly tall, but pretty stocky. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he beats out uh, Redfield or, or uh, Shoemate. Um, you know, I'm not sure about Sebastian and what they have in mind. He almost seems like a, a hybrid type player, a sort of, um, you know, guy who can come up and, and play some run. He almost seems like a Sam linebacker to me, um, you know, not in certain situations. I realize if teams are running an eye formation and tight end, he's, he's probably not the right body type, but uh, he's a guy that I could see more as a somewhere kind of a tweener in between a linebacker and, uh, and a safety, kind of a Drew Tranquil type. And I'm curious to see over the course of the years if, um, if that's what we're starting to see in Van Gorder's defense, where we're starting to see the importance of maybe some sort of a hybrid player. And I know Brian Kelly had mentioned that... Uh, um, you know, they thought of Onowalu as basically a DB playing linebacker, and I wonder if we're starting to see it, see, starting to see a little bit of that in Van Gorder's defense. And Sebastian might just fit that type of mold. All right, Notre Dame did have a transfer uh, before spring practice started. Uh, Matt Hargerty, center slash left guard, was eligible for a fifth year. Brian Kelly basically said, "We want you at left guard. You don't have to compete for that spot with." Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars. Hegarty said, you know what, I think I'm a center at the next level. I'd like to play in the NFL, so I think I'm going to transfer elsewhere. Um, reports were that he was visiting Florida State over the weekend. Um, you know, most people, I guess, when they hear about players transferring, they kind of look at, well, I might go to Mac and get some playing time. But, you know, uh, not a great position at Florida State last year. Um I know their original center, uh, Holfeld, I believe, or Barron, it was injured, and then uh, Holfeld came in and didn't really play that great, and then he ended up getting benched. So uh, a couple guys that played at center last year for Florida State are, uh, are gone now, so it looks like possibly Hegarty could start for the Seminoles, which is good for him. Um, glad that he might be able to do something like that. But in terms of the offensive line, we've already talked about that position. Um, you know, Should we be a little bit more concerned about losing uh, – someone who has started games before who could add quality depth and, uh, you know, make an injury to either Martin or Nelson a lot less uh, painful in 2015, such a uh, such a big year for Notre Dame. Uh, should we be a little bit more worried? Absolutely, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's never great to lose experienced players like that. And this is a guy who, you know, according to Brian Kelly, was offered the starting position at left guard. Now, would there have been some competition? I'm, I'm sure there would have been. But regardless, we're talking about a guy who has started a number of games for Notre Dame. Um, you know, a guy who's been through the battles. Um, he's been in the program for a number of years. And when you lose guys like that, that's never ideal. We are fortunate that we have some young, talented players coming in. But I'll tell you right now, as a, a coach, um, I really like guys who I know what I'm going to get out of them versus guys that I really don't have a clue. Um, and certainly, I think you referenced it. If, uh, you know, if Nick Martin were to to get injured, knock on wood, um, we'd be pretty inexperienced uh, suddenly in the interior, and um, and that would be less than ideal. So yeah, it's concerning. I know most fans are not too worried. They kind of take the, you know, the perspective that it's, uh, you know, it's just the young guys moving up, and time for these young guys to to get some playing time, and and that's wonderful, and that's great, and I, you know, I hope that they do play as well as we all think that they will, but. Uh, I'm always concerned when we lose good quality experience and good quality players like that. Never ideal. Yeah, I really can't disagree with any of that. I mean, I, I was initially going to say something along the lines of, yeah, the the guy's in the weight room, he's on the field with all these uh, younger guys, and he kind of might have a sense more than we do that he's about to be passed by. But even with that being said, it's it's not a good thing to lose a starting experience like that. All right, well, the only other big news item for Notre Dame right now, um, Junior Day has been going on this past weekend. We're taping this on a Sunday early evening. Notre Dame has gained three commits over the weekend. Um, the first one was long snapper John Shannon. 
Um, the second one was Julian Love, also from Illinois. Shannon uh, was from Illinois as well. And um, the third one was Tony Jones Jr., running back out of Florida. Um, none of those were really big surprises except for John Shannon, who really wasn't on anyone's radar, you know, long snapper and everything. Those usually aren't on anyone's radar. Off. Obviously, John Shannon's not really rated at all. Julian Love's a three-star composite. So is Tony Jones. Um, you know, odds are that those guys will have their uh, rankings increase, especially Tony Jones, who I believe is going to be going to the opening, and he should be able to display his talents there and uh, most likely move up into at least a mid-four-star. Um, you guys want to talk about these guys at all? I mean... Do you think it was kind of weird to uh, offer a long snapper? I, I I would say I kind of lean towards skepticism only because I think Brian Kelly's done a really good job with uh, his roster management. I mean, it's kind of a tough situation, and it's hard to talk about sometimes because you know a lot of other places are really cutthroat about what goes on and who makes the team. And uh, we've seen this year, you know, there's basically going to be tryouts for fifth years uh, for some of these players right now. That's a position that Notre Dame's never really been in, and um, it's probably going to happen where the current long snapper will be getting his fifth year in 2016, which means you'll be carrying two long snappers on scholarship for at least one year. Um, you know, not the, the end of the world, and it's obviously really cool to get the top guy at his position, but... Uh, as someone who's kind of like, well, we kind of need every scholarship. That bothers me a little bit, but uh, I might just be crazy. What do you guys think about adding these recruits over this weekend? Well, I, I like Tony Jones. I haven't been uh, bashful about saying that. I, I love this film. He He's a bigger sort of guy, but I, I love the way he moves. I think he could be a real uh, big contributor in terms of a future Notre Dame offense. As far as the long snapper goes... Uh, you got to have one, so uh, might as well get the best. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Any thoughts, Lars? Uh, you know, not really. I don't uh, follow recruiting that closely. Um, certainly no disrespect to the people who put a lot of time into recruiting and are passionate, and I think our guys on our site do a phenomenal job with it. Um, you know, I just have a hard time getting real fired up about, you know, 17-year-old high school kids and, you know, what they may or may not do before they even start their senior season of high school. So, um, you know, hopefully we got some good good guys here and uh, some guys that blossom into into good players. And um, you know, long snapping is a critical position. So I guess, like you say, if you can lock up the talent, that's always a good thing. All right, that's going to recap our. Uh, we're done with our fiftieth episode. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we leave? No, just the weather's awesome up here in Canada. We sent uh, all of that snow to the uh, East Coast there, so you're welcome, everybody on the East Coast. <laughs> I got nothing to add, but I think we hit everything pretty well. All right, hopefully we'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks. I'll be on vacation the week after next, so uh, you won't see me on the site for uh, that week, but I will be back with a vengeance probably towards the end of spring ball and as we approach the Blue Gold game. I am Eric, that's Lars and Phil, and we will see you later. Take care.